Hi, this is Sean Zelber from NextLove. I listen to the App Guy podcast. I think it's great. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp. And with this podcast, what I like to do is I like to get some guests who can really help us move us along in our businesses, whether we are indie app developers, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, anyone, anyone involved in the app world. I guarantee that this episode will be fantastic for you. And let me just set this up because if you're uh, considering uh, developing apps and you want to learn uh, what the resources that you can find to uh, learn how to do that, then this is going to be a great guest for you. Uh, his name is Dan Berg. Uh, now, what I want you to do right now is pause the podcast and go to this uh, this domain name. Uh, it's novicenolonger.com forward slash the app guy podcast. Uh, so novicenolonger.com forward slash the app guy podcast. If you go to that link, uh, Dan's very kindly set up a, a landing page for just for the Appster tribe. And uh, that will, he's got a load of goodies there for us to, uh, to actually find and, and, uh, and make use of. So Dan, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, first of all, could you tell us, um, you know, a little bit about uh, what you're up to uh, with NovisNoLonger.com? How did you uh, end up getting the idea for that and what, what's it doing? Ah, that's a good question. So uh, the, the background, let's see. I, I made my very first mobile app when I was still... Working retail, um, didn't know anything about apps. I started to get into it, and through my journey, which is a long story, I ended up creating an app. And I wrote a blog post on my old blog about that, which ended up getting a lot of positive attention. And so I was able to turn that post and the content and my experiences into a course that I ended up teaching. So I taught that course for about two years uh, here in New York City. It was kind of like a, a little thing that I did on the side as a hobby because I just found it fun. And... Uh, I was still working full-time. I ended up getting a job as a tech journalist throughout this entire time as I was also teaching. And then I just, I learned teaching and working with apps and and this entire world here was, and it was really rewarding and fun. And so I ended up leaving that world and launching Novice No Longer. And, and the goal that I have with the website and the podcast is to help people build products and build apps. And uh, I always try to talk about uh, the blog and the podcast in terms of defining definitions because it's called novice no longer. And I have a specific definition of a novice. And that's somebody who doesn't know enough about a topic to really ask the right questions. Because they always tell you that when you're learning something new, you just ask, you should ask questions, ask as many questions as you can. But there's a certain part in your learning where you just don't even know what questions to ask. So I try to help people that are kind of at that stage in terms of apps or development or outsourcing or user interface, user experience, and and start from that level and build the experience in order to give people knowledge and help them learn more or know what to explore and what paths to take well, in Dan, their own learning. Dan, this is great. I mean, first of all, I think there's a lot of the apps to tribe listening right now who uh, have an immense amount of uh, knowledge. And uh, what we can learn from you is that you're, uh, well, first of all, you did this as a side hobby, uh, taking your interest, your passion, and then teaching about it. And then you migrated into uh, tech journalism. So I, I want to get stuck into your journey because I think it will help others try and figure out what, what uh, they should do. So how did you end up... Uh, well, making money by 
uh, teaching uh, as a hobby? How did that go for you? Mm -hmm. Well, back a few years ago, there was this, well, the website still exists, but there was a website called Skillshare.com. And when it first launched, it was much different than it is now. And when it first launched, what it was, was it was a platform for anybody to create and teach in-person classes. So if you knew how to do book binding, you could literally list a class on here and then sell tickets and people could go and check it out. So it's a little bit like Eventbrite or something, but it was awesome because there were people on there that were looking for classes and wanted to learn things. So like I said, I had the blog post that got popular. I learned about this platform and I was like, I want to start teaching. I, I would absolutely love that. So I ended up building the curriculum and the class around my, my experiences, posting it on there and it, it became pretty popular. And and like I said, I, I taught it about twice a month for about two years before I had to stop because work got to be too much. And uh, yeah, it was a blast. Oh, great. So uh, you are actually teaching these events live yeah, this was in person. I would rent space at a, a local, uh, well, a bunch of different places. But in the end, I mostly went to this uh, co-working space here in New York. And I had about 10 to 20 students per class. And I was teaching it, teaching it twice a month in person. In 161 episodes, I think this is the first time we've been reminded that we can teach this stuff in the physical presence rather than you know online and, and and trying to do a lot of the things that the internet marketers are doing and i think that's really inspirational because there's going to be someone listening right now who can actually just rent some local space even uh, go and get a, a a local um office or something and and teach and and charge for that Mm -hmm. And I mean, the biggest challenge with teaching in person is the marketing and getting the word out there. And that's really why I mourn the loss of Skillshare and it's changing because literally I didn't have to do any other marketing. I had zero. Uh, I didn't even have a website with a newsletter list. I had nothing. I had zero. And I listed my class on there and I got a full class of students. And since then, I, I tried to list it on Eventbrite. I can still get some students, but it's a lot more difficult. So you definitely can find a market. It's all about like finding the right places to advertise. Like if there's a co-working space, you can kind of partner with them. They'll get the word out. Um, those kind of th things in order to get the students to come in. Um, but yeah, it and I, I love teaching in person. It's such a different experience. It's so rewarding to be able to like talk to people and stay in contact with them. Yeah, I can imagine that a lot of us have... Uh, you know, tried uh, some online courses and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of discipline to go through all the different videos and it's very impersonal. And uh, we actually forget that uh, a classroom with the teacher there and you can ask the questions in face-to-face -face is a lot better way of learning. But I'm guessing that your benefit, are you living uh, in a densely populated city? I, I forgot to check. Where, whereabouts are you living? Yeah, I would say densely populated. I'm in New York City, so yeah, <laughs> it's pretty well, there big. You go. So anyone listening who's in New York City or Los Angeles or London or some <laughs> of the big cities, that's good. Uh, but, uh, well, try it out. So you don't think any other um, platforms have taken over from uh, the, the Skillshare? You said Eventbrite, but what, what about Meetup? Have you tried Meetup? Oh, yeah, I go to Meetups all the time. But uh, a Meetup is more just like a place where people 
people with similar interests get together, networking, that kind of thing. It's not really a place to list classes. And uh, I mean, I, I haven't worked on with Skillshare, like I haven't been an employee of the actual company to really know, but my guess would be that just local classes weren't as scalable. And I mean, that's why a lot of people eventually moved to online courses. And it's because you can sell more products and reach more people. Because I mean, on Skillshare, every time I would have a class, they would take a percentage of each ticket sale, that kind of thing. So if I had, like I said, 10 to 15 students, they would be getting the commission off of 10 to 15 students. And I would do that twice a month with an online course depending on how you market that, you can have way, way, way more sales. You can reach more people. You don't have the overhead of renting space. So it's really sad because um, Skillshare was just so solid at what they did. And they were so niche and it was so different than anything else. But I guess they were looking at their financials and wanted to be able to scale bigger, would be my guess from the outside. And so they, they pivoted or whatever you call it. Yeah, so my, my challenge to everyone listening right now is that uh, if you haven't got any online courses, I mean, one suggestion would be to run an offline course like you're talking about here. Uh, you don't even have to charge for it because if it's your first or second course, then, you know, it's the experience that you're getting. And uh, actually record, I know a lot of internet marketers do that, do this, they record the entire event if it's a one or two day event where they're teaching and then they use that material as the online course. And I don't know if you ever did that. I, I never actually did that, um, but I do know that some people do, and I've seen that before. My one tip that I would actually give people is always charge, even if it's $5 or something, something really tiny. Always charge, because if you do something free, nobody's going to show up. I, I mean, I know that from experience, and I'll a lot of people will tell you. So like make people put their money out and people are totally willing to give you their money, but make sure you're actually charging for it because if you don't, nobody's going to show up. Yeah, Dan, you're talking to the app world where you know people are reluctant to pay 69p or 69 cents for an app. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, but it, I don't know. I, from my experiences and everything that I've seen, like it, it's the perceived value. And if you're giving away something for free, even if it's in, an in-person thing, people are much likely to be like, oh, I don't feel like going out tonight or there's other plans. But if they bought a ticket, they're more invested. They're actually going to show up. So I'm really eager to transition a little bit into your uh, career as a tech journalist because, again, uh, I do think that we have a, a big audience with which are tech you know, developers, uh, indie app developers. And there is the potential, I think, to take what we know and migrate into tech journalism in a way. I mean, effectively, we're all doing it anyway. In terms, of if we if you blog, uh, I'm podcasting. We're we're kind of in that space anyway. But what what suggestion would you have for anyone wanting to get into tech journalism? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. I'm actually this is something outside the realm of novice no longer that I'm experimenting with. And I'm creating a course that I'm going to be releasing through Udemy probably in the next couple of weeks uh, about exactly this, like how to break into, uh, blog your way to a writing career is what I call it. So it's good that you should ask about that. Um, but yeah, I got my start just because I had a personal blog that I was writing on. Literally, it was called IamDan.com. And Dan with, with two ends is still up. You can check that out. But yeah, I would just blogging on my own about a bunch of random things, not even tech, not even anything. And as I went, I kind of got more focused on tech just because that's what I'm personally interested in. But 
yeah, I ended up being able to write an article that got onto Hacker News. So it got a bunch of traffic from Hacker News. And then it was republished by Gizmodo with my permission. And so I got a lot of attention there. And I was able to use that uh, experience and have my blog, my personal blog, be my resume, basically. And I applied for a job at Laptop Magazine, which I was able to get. Which was amazing because before that I was at uh, I was working retail and then I was at a temp at Canon for a little bit. But I, I really broke into the journalism world just by making the connections and writing regularly. And yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, anyone listening actually uh, may remember an episode that I did with uh, Leslie Slam- Samuel, which was uh, a long time ago now, probably a hundred episodes ago. Uh, but he ended up getting a professorship. Uh, based on his blog and uh, my suggestion to anyone is if you're not podcasting or blogging or creating some kind of content then you really need to be because that is your portfolio that's your resume as you say or we would call it cv and uh, i'm guessing that you get noticed and attention uh, from just doing doing that and also i guess it it is uh, helping you in terms of refining your skill and talent as a writer or a podcaster Yeah, it's fantastic for learning, too. I mean, my suggestion is for anybody that's learning something new, any topic, start a blog about it and start writing about what you're learning. Because through the process of writing, you're going to be filling in those gaps in your knowledge. And you're also going to be having people that possibly find you and read you and and read your content and can provide feedback. And this is especially true if you're learning about development or programming because there are so many people online that are programmers that love talking about code and will find all of these random obscure articles that people are writing and comment on them. Like I remember uh, when I was tackling Objective-C for a little bit, I wrote an article about, uh, oh my gosh, what is it? The There's a programming exercise where it's one, two, three, and then you replace the four with a different word. Uh, I totally am blanking on what it's called right now, but I wrote out a blog post about how to write this in Objective-C, published it, and again, I had no email list. I, this wasn't going out to anybody, but somebody, somehow somebody found me through search engine, I guess, and I got people commenting on this random post about code just because people love code and love to write about it. And then they fixed an error that I had. I learned how to do something right and yeah, it was amazing. So blogging is fantastic. I recommend anybody and everybody do it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would claim that and and confirm that the tech, in, well, certainly the developer community is incredibly good and for giving back and, and writing about their problems and bugs and errors and Stack Overflow is just amazing in terms of the number of, the amount of content on there and the the number of problems I've solved just by going to, to a website like Stack Overflow. Um, I, I want to pick up on one thing that you mentioned, which I, I think would be really interesting, is to learn from you what it's like to get an, an article or a, a post on Hacker News that goes to the top. What sort of traffic could you expect if that was to, ha- what was to happen to you right now? That's a good question. So it depends what the article is. Uh, I've had a few things that hit the front page of Hacker News. Um, the article, the one that got the most attention was I actually have a magnet that I had implanted into my finger. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I know. Bizarre, well, right? Right, so okay. I had this done and I can feel magnetic fields. So like uh, 
live wires. If I'm walking down the street, I can feel subways underground. I can pick up paper clips, like that kind of thing. So I have that on my finger. And it, as I'm sure everybody listening right now is thinking, why would you do that? That's the to, most to, common question. To get on question. top of Hacker News, that's exactly. To get on top of Hacker News, exactly. <laughs> um, so at that point, I had had it for about three years. I wrote an article about it, like looking back about what it's like to live with it because most of the time people get it and then they immediately write about their experiences. And yeah, it blew up to the top of um, Hacker News and I think I got 20,000 views that day. Wow, one um, day, wonderful. What a Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, uh, and, and, and like said, I said, that, that hit Gizmodo then because of that and, and pretty much got you your career with uh, laptop, the Laptop Magazine. Yeah, so uh, I guess one of the editors from Gizmodo saw it on Hacker News and wanted to republish it on their website. So he emailed me asking permission and I was like, of course, that's amazing. And so, yeah, I have no idea how much traffic it even got there, but... Uh, yeah, it, it got a lot of attention and that kind of broke me into everything. It just goes to show, doesn't it, that, you know, we all can work hard. And one of the things that has changed my life in a way is a phrase that is something like create more than you consume. If you can create more than you can consume, it does change you in a way because you become more of a creator. And I'm taking inspiration from you by doing that. But also I'm, I'm learning from this that it sometimes it can just be a little bit of luck. You know, there's no reason why that took off and a lot of the other stuff perhaps didn't take off as much. Um, but I think we just have to accept that, you know, there's a bit of luck involved in, in something that goes viral and gets on top of Hacker News. Yeah, I mean, it, I've, I've had a few different posts that have didn't, done fairly well in Hacker News. And Hacker News always gives a fantastic spike in traffic. If you can get something to the front page of Reddit as well, not even the front page, front page, but just like the top of one of the smaller subreddits, that's like three or four times the traffic of Hacker News. But they're always really good spikes. And I mean, there's a bit of luck in it, but there's also a part of just being the community and you're reading stuff on there because you as a person find it interesting and probably what you're doing is you also find interesting, hopefully. And so people in that community will also find what you're doing interesting. So kind of just knowing the community and knowing who you're talking to and then creating a content that speaks to that community or explores the thoughts and ideas uh, within there. And, and you're, you're suddenly becoming part of the conversation rather than just an outside observer. And Dan, I can't leave it by missing out what, what, why you ended up having a magnet implanted in your finger. Was, was there a medical reason for it? No, it was, I had read an article about somebody who had it done when, when the very first one was done. And he talked about being able to like, when they walked out of the library, feeling the metal detector, those kind of things. But then this very first person, the magnet, what the coating, which it has to be coated in silicone, it broke down and the magnet ended up like disintegrating in his finger. And I, there were just these terrible pictures of them trying to remove it from his finger. And I was like, never. And then maybe two years later, I met a friend of mine. Um, we were hanging out at the bar and I learned that he had one and he had had it for like a year. And I was like, well, time to revisit this thing that I was interested in. And I found a guy and I got it done. So, so I'm really interested in perhaps getting uh, some magnets in my ears so that, I don't, you know, when you're wearing headphones, they can just... Uh... I guess they, snap in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
Where, where is all this going, do you think? Where where are we t- going with all this stuff? Because, I mean, there is talk about a new species that eventually will uh, come about, which is, you know, the integration of technology into human beings. Yeah, it's... I honestly don't know. I was a part of this article on um, The Verge before I actually started working there. Um, the, a great piece by Ben Popper about, um, like cyborgs among us, that kind of thing, and all these people that are into these body modification stuff. And it's interesting. I mean, the magnet that I have right now, there's zero practical use in my life for it. Like, it's a party trick thing, and it's a it's a way for me to explore my world that I can sense things that are invisible. And that's interesting to me, but I'm sure 90% of the listeners are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, so it, it's something that is of value to me in that way, but there's no practical value, you know? And I think that once these modifications can get to the point where they're practical and also to the point where they can be upgraded enough, because right now we buy a new smartphone every two years or whatever, and I can only imagine that anything that we're going to be implanting in us is going to be just obsolete very, very soon. So I think those are two things that are holding back this kind of bioevolution thing. But yeah, I think we'll eventually get there. Yeah, I mean, when you say uh, 90% of the audience will think this is a little bit silly, well, I mean, 90% of the audience have probably downloaded the app uh, Yo, which is the most stupid app I think I've ever come across. So. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. And so we're, we're all into this. Uh, and uh, so there's two things we like to do on the app, app Guy podcast before we say goodbye. One is that uh, we would love to try and flesh out an app idea with you, Dan. And the way we do this is I will ask you straight out, do you, do you have an idea for an app that you're willing to share with us? And if not, then there's another way we can flesh out the app idea with you. Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, I was just thinking of one the other day, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. I feel like I have... I. I I can't think of anything right now. So if there's another method, we should yeah, probably do sure. that. Yeah, sure. So um, what we'd like to do is uh, in, in your uh, career, your business, um, if you can think back to the last uh, six weeks, eight weeks, and talk about some of the, the real pain points you're experiencing in your business, uh, the challenges, the biggest challenges, something that's really frustrating, and perhaps we can uh, flesh out an app idea from that. Mm, now, business-related like, I'm trying to, I mean, the biggest thing that I struggle with is productivity and actually staying focused and getting things done. Yes, yes. So uh, let's go down the road of productivity then. So what what in the last uh, three, four weeks ha- has been a real pain point with productivity? Uh, staying focused on single tasks and not getting distracted by new ideas. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so I'm wondering how we could. I mean, there is a, there is definitely a, a move to have uh, apps and and features uh, to to help us. I know that we had an interview with the guys from Cronus who uh, have this app that that basically tracks your movements and and you try and plug into the app what what you ideally want to do. You know, you want to spend so much time with your family at home. You want to spend so much time with your parents, your friends, and it knows where exactly where you're going. And it'll give you a report at the end of the month when, uh, you know, you've seen, oh, look, I've, I've obviously spent too much time at work and I'm not getting my life balance. Uh, maybe, uh, I'm just trying to think, actually, I use something called Rescue Time on my uh, Mac. And uh, that helps me focus by not uh, allowing me too, too much time on uh, social media and uh, and some of the unproductive uh, things that we can do on a computer. 
um, maybe there needs to be something like that for an app. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, Rescue Time is fantastic. I, I used it for a little bit, and I forget what I, I uninstalled it a couple of years ago, but I, I should definitely look into that again. Um, I, think, I, mean, I think we've just come up with the idea then. So basically Rescue Time for um, the app world So uh, that, that's on your smartphone. That would be fantastic. If Apple allowed you a way to monitor that for the other apps, that would be great. Maybe something for Android at this point, or at least a jailbroken iPhone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do think that's a, that's, that's a potential for that. Because, you know, if you think about it, we don't know how long we are on uh, Twitter or Facebook or all these other things that are really unproductive. And uh, we had a previous guest who said that uh, we, we, we open our phones about six, 30 to 60 times an hour or something crazy. You know, we're constantly fumbling with them and opening things and and if we could just track all that, that behavior, so that we can then change our habits and become more productive, I think we're on to a really good app idea there. Yeah, my, my phone would tell me that I spend way too much time playing uh, Pocket Mine. That game is so addicting. <laughs> I don't want to know those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so, uh, okay. Um, uh, well, talking about apps, we'd love to know what uh, are your favorite apps. And I don't know if you have your smartphone there at handy. Um, usually people have it within Let's reach. Um, yeah. But what what uh, one or two apps could you talk about that you think we may not have come across before? Awesome. Yeah. My favorite that I've been using for over a year now is One Second Every Day. Have you heard of this one? No, I've never heard of it. One second every day, what you do is you go through and every single day you record a little bit of video. And then what this app does is you select one second for every day and then it stitches them into one video. So after a year, you have a video that's about six minutes long that features one second from every day of the year. And it's like journaling, but because it's video and sound and that kind of stuff, just the recall and the memory is there. And so I've been doing this for about a year and three months every day now that I can go back and watch this video of the past year and months of my life. Uh, and I'm going to keep doing this indefinitely because it's so fun to go back and watch that. Um, so yeah, that's at the top of my list. So, so Dan, I really want to, um, are we able to see that video that you created? Yeah, definitely. I have it saved on my computer. Okay. So what I might do then is uh, put a link in the show notes. Uh, so if anyone wants to go and check that out, go to theappguy.co, theappguy.co and go to episode 161 with Dan Berg. And I'll put a link to the video there because I think I'm really eager to see what that's like. And, and I would love that uh, because uh, I think recently I was uh, tempted to, uh, uh, there was a YouTube video with um, a girl growing up from a baby to 12 I think 12 years old and uh, it was like a, a photo taken every week and uh, just just went through her life growing up and it was just amazing uh, amazing video I think it went viral yeah. so uh, and this app like was that. created the guy had a TED talk where he talked about recall and memory and creating the app and that's when I got inspired and yeah it, it it's a blast okay great wonderful what a great app one second every day yep one second every day and every day is one word um and then the other app that I use every single day is actually a Yahoo app, Yahoo News Digest. Um, and once in the morning and once in the evening, they send you uh, the Yahoo News Digest. And what it is, is it's seven to 10 articles that have been shortened using um, Sumly. Remember that guy that was like 17 or 18 yeah. years old? It, they, yeah, he got bought out for $30 million or something crazy. Exactly. And this is what he's doing now. And it's awesome because every time I've tweeted about this app, he always like personally responds. But so 
twice a day, they send you the Yahoo News Digest, which is seven to ten articles that have been summarized. And I just go through and read those twice a day, and I know what's going on with the news when I without actually having to like read the news every day, which is very time consuming. So those are two apps that I use every single day that I couldn't live without. Dan, I feel like you've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And in the last two or three minutes, I think what I'd like to do is just to ask you straight up, what are the most interesting things that you are coming across now that you think would be valuable to the the audience? What interesting innovations or just kind of weird stuff or what is it you could share with us that you think would be very powerful? I guess the... uh... The thing that I'm really thinking about right now, I'm not sure if it's necessarily mind-blowing, but the thing that I'm just constantly intrigued by is the whole privacy and where we're going to land in terms of like anonymity and the web, Um, especially with like, and everybody's eyes always go blank when you talk about like NSA and things like that. But just as it pertains to like Tor and the darknet markets and I, I just think it's so fascinating. We're, we're at this crux right now in terms of the, the freedoms that the internet possibly can give us and what direction they can go if it's actually like stopped and controlled. And so I've just been having a blast kind of sitting on the sidelines watching everything there unfold. Yeah, no, well, it's a subject very close to my heart. And, you know, in the last couple of minutes, it's, we're not going to do it justice. But what I... Oh, not at all. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that I know in the US there's been this whole debate about net neutrality. Uh, but if you read between the lines, what I'm learning is that that is a push to then get the net regulated. And if regulated, then there'll be, uh, I guess, a regulation for lawful content and unlawful content. And then you start to wonder, what is lawful content? What is unlawful? I mean, the beautiful thing about the web is it's just totally open and free. And, uh, you know, for example, I would hate the the fact that, say, this episode got banned because we mentioned the word NSA. You know, it could actually one day happen. And you just wonder, you know, in the land of uh, freedom of speech, uh, how restrictive the uh, process of regulating the web will be. Yeah, and I think the the process or the push for anybody that actually knows what they're talking about is to get the internet categorized as a utility because like when you have a phone line it's not like they're monitoring for like keywords and like if you mention a certain word they're going to be knocking on your door but that's exactly what they're doing with the internet or they're trying to do that that kind of stuff and so I, i think it's important to to categorize the internet as a utility like something that people use rather than have it really be um, something that they're censoring or doing anything yeah. else with. As I say, well, that's, that's a debate for as another time. As eloquent as that is, yeah. I, I mean, you know, if we had uh, the internet regulated as a utility here in the UK, then our, our phone lines are terrible <laughs> at the moment. Oh, are they? Yeah, there's a big monopoly. I'm sure it is quite uh, monopolized in the U- USA as well. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, uh, it really... Uh, if it wasn't for my wife, I, um, who has to take the occasional work call, we, we'd we'd not have a landline because uh, at the moment it's just uh, spam calls that seem to come through, and it's monopolized by a handful of uh, of um, uh, companies. And uh, yeah, they've not been innovative at all. You know, when you think about, I can't remember the last time I had a landline. 
Like before I went to college, like my home, I, after going off, I've, I've never had a landline since then. <laughs> there you go. So you're, li- you're living the future, Dan. Um, I'm, I'm living the dream. You are. So do, do you want to, um, how best can people reach out and connect with you? I know that you mentioned that you've got um, uh, some new things coming along. There's a new blog that will be out by the time this uh, ep- episode goes live. Uh, how, how best can we get in touch and reach out to you? Yeah, my website is novicenolonger.com. And again, if you go to uh, novicenolonger.com slash the app guy podcast, I've got a few marketing things for anybody doing apps you guys would probably like. Um, on Twitter, I'm Dan Berg. And again, it's Dan with two N's. So D-A-N-N-B-E-R-G. And you can email me too. It's dan at novicenolonger.com. And that's my personal email and I'll get back to you definitely. Well, Dan, it's been a real pleasure. I am so thrilled that we've had this uh, journey together. Uh, Thanks very much for sharing it from New York. uh, And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. Everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. The App Guy Podcast 